Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. Good morning. I may not be there today, but I'm so glad that you are. As you know, I'm taking some time off with family, but we are in the middle of the summer series. Last week, you heard from my brother Chad, and today we have another incredible speaker joining us. In the past, you've heard from our friend Bernard Scott from Bayside Community Church. Well, today you get to hear from another Bayside team member, David Murphy. There, David serves as the North River campus pastor. He has years of ministry experience and actually used to work with both Pastor Tom and Pastor Ryan. I promise you are in for a treat today. Please stand up and make some noise for Pastor David Murphy. Uh, Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Let's continue welcoming, as Pastor Tim says, those who are watching online. Peace, wherever you're watching this from, in Jesus' name, please have a seat. It's so an honor to be here with you this weekend. I, I am an observer of this church from a distance. Uh, I met your pastor, Pastor Tim, a few years ago. You are a blessed people. I've been listening to him online. What a fantastic Bible teacher. I mean, you, you don't really realize how good you have it, you know. Spiritually, you're well fed. And it's so good to be with friends, with, Randy, uh, with Ryan and, and Tom, Pastor Tom and, and Lance now. You know, just these guys that, they're my brothers. So being here this, this weekend is, is such an honor. I really, really, I really, really thankful. Maybe you've noticed that just in those few words that my accent is not from Alabama. <laughs> actually, uh, just very briefly, just, uh, I, I grew up in actually the Canary Islands, the Canary Islands in Spain. Does anybody know where the Canary Islands are? You can, it's interactive. You can, oh, some of you do. Well, I have a map just for you, you know. <laughs> this is Africa. Just let me, you know in a map, you always go, you are here. This is where you are. Okay, just, just in case, okay, you're here. Uh, Canary Islands, seven little islands on the northwest uh, coast of Africa. My parents were missionaries there for 35 years. We all grew up there. We were all born there. Um, por cierto, el idioma que yo hablé primero era el español. ¿Cuánta gente aquí dentro me entiende el español? Unos cuantos. Ah, qué bien. Gloria a Dios, ¿verdad? Ese es el idioma que vamos a hablar en el cielo, por cierto. Okay. For those who didn't understand, I just said hi in Spanish. Because that's the language I grew up with, you know. <laughs> and you better get used to it. That's the language we're talking in heaven. Um, but my <laughs> that or Chinese, one of the two. Then, but my parents are from Northern Ireland. Northern Ireland in Ireland. Anybody know where that is? Yeah. Anybody been there? Okay. Some of you might uh, go home tonight or today, and you'll start going. Try to put on the accent with your husband, your wife, your family, and it, yeah, try it anyway. And it's, it's good. Um, uh, then the Lord was, uh, brought, us, brought me over to study in Dallas, Texas. That's where I, I st- the love of God's word and theology and, and at seminary and loved it. But the greatest gift was I met a girl from South Florida. You know, you know that, you know, she followed me around and, you know, 
she fell in love with me part, you know what I mean? Uh, and then we went back to Ireland where we ministered in Ireland for many years. And then God gave us Hannah, Lydia, and Zach. They were all born there. You know, that's the Christmas card picture that then two minutes later they're like, Wah! you know. Uh, but at least for this picture, it turned out okay. Um, so uh, we are very, very blessed and we're so grateful. And now we, we serve. God brought us back to the States in Florida. And we serve in Bayside Community Church under the, the leadership of my pastor, Pastor Randy. And, uh, but it is so, it's such an honor to stand in a place where I know God's word is honored, where God is honored, where God's word is taught. So, and I love, I love, what I love about your pastor is his sense of humor. And it reminds me of two guys that were sitting in a bar. <laughs> and one, one ordered a drink and the guy beside him said, oh, I can hear from your accent. Where are you from? He says, I'm from Northern Ireland. <gasps> Me too. What part of Northern Ireland? Oh, I'm from Belfast. I'm from Belfast. What street did you grow up in? I grew up in the Lisburn Road. I grew up in the Lisburn Road. What school did you go to? Oh, I, I went to Methody. I went to Methody too. What year did you graduate? Oh, I graduated in 1985. I can't believe it. I graduated in 1985. The barman standing beside them and he goes, oh, it's going to be a long night. The guy said, why? He says, because the Murphy twins are drunk again. <laughs> that was good. That was good. That was good. Laughter in church is great. <laughs> I know Pastor Tim would love that one. So let's, <laughs> let's go to prayer as we come to his word. Lord, we thank you that as a family we can come together, that we have words in a language we can understand your words, Lord, whatever is of man may be forgotten, whatever is of the spirit may, may fall on good soil in our hearts. Correct us, rebuke us, and train us to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I think one of the most incredible inventions in my lifetime has been the smartphone. The smartphone has changed everything in the last 20 years. Before that, any children and young people in this place, phones were attached to the wall. <laughs> like this. You had to ring, 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 ring. Who, who remembers phones like this? Oh, yeah, oh, okay. Some of you are like, yeah, you know. Who doesn't? Any kids, young people in here who have never seen a dial-up? Oh, you're not that young. <laughs> I just see hands, by the way. But that's the way, we, it's something that revolutionized the way we do life. It's, it's now we nearly have a better relationship with our phones and with people. It's, it's amazing what a thing can do to change the world. I want to talk to you this morning about uh, not a thing, but a lifestyle, a philosophy, a, a, a worldview, a teaching that if we live by this, it affects, it affects everything within me. It affects the way I eat. It affects the way I drive. It affects the way I parent. It affects the way I, I treat other people. It affects my singleness. It affects my money. It affects my job. It affects everything. And it's something that Jesus said. In the first book of the New Testament, as Matthew is revealing to us, what Jesus has been teaching 
The context is that there's this, this group of people who are the religious leaders of the day who come along and they're trying to, they're trying to test Jesus. They've been hearing about him and now they want to find out a wee bit more. And in Matthew 22, if you have your Bibles or your iPads or your iPhones, in Matthew 22, verse 34, this is what we read. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, which was, by the way, a group in that religious system, the Pharisees, which was another group in that system, which, by the way, they did not like each other. They did not like each other. But when Jesus turned on the scenes, oh, they became friends very quickly. This happens exactly in our world. Two people, two set groups, they don't like each other. Jesus turns up, or Jesus' representative turned up, oh, they're friends all of a sudden against Jesus. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Okay, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they got together. And this is what happened. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I thought there was more. Oh, yes, it is. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Sorry, from my angle, I missed that. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus, these smart guys. Hey, Jesus, what's the best way to live? In your opinion, what's the greatest commandment? In your way, what's the best way to do life? And Jesus encapsulates everything in two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Irish way, my way, love God, love others. If we live that way, it affects everything. Amen. It affects the way I eat. It affects the way I drive. It's the way I pay a parent. It's the way, the way I do my money. It's the way I come to church. It's the way I do my leisure time. It's the way I do my work. It affects everything. Love God, love others. So how do we do this? How do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, put this into practice? To open it up a little bit, I want to I transport you into the time period that Jesus stepped into. God Father, at the right time, sent the Son into a time period that was a Jewish rabbi, student, or rabbi, disciple, teacher, disciple, teacher, student. Of all the time periods of history, of all the cultures, of all the languages, he stepped into that one. So there's something about that system that we need to know and learn so that then we can bring the scriptures to life to connect with. The first thing I want you to realize is how the Jewish people viewed God. They viewed God as, as, as a lover, as love. He created everything. And he said it was good. Then he goes and writes it all down so that we get to know him in the creation that he built, that he created. Wow. Then the text, the scriptures became highly important in their life. Why? Because it's a love letter from the God of who created us. So the people who were in charge of passing on the text from one generation to the next were called rabbis teachers. 
It was their responsibility. You see, because they saw if what is not passed from generation to generation, we can lose it here. We can lose the importance. So at the age of six, rabbis, which by the way was a very desirable role in society, they're the ones who carry the text, that pass on the text. At the age of six, students would come along, and this first stage of education, they would memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I, I can hardly spell that, never meant say it. <laughs> the entire law, the Torah, from six to ten years old. Why? This is what the rabbi did. The rabbi, on the first day they would arrive with their iPhones and iPads of the day, <laughs> he would have used honey. Honey. It was sticky. It was sweet. But to the Jewish people, it meant a blessing. So they connected God's word with blessing. They connected God's word with stickability, with sweetness, sweetness, with something desirable and beautiful. And by the way, they didn't have chocolate and Hershey bars and all this. This was something that was connected with their very taste buds. God equals blessing to a child. So they would have learned those five, five books of the Bible, I can't know, I, how many of us know, don't raise your hand, how many of us know five verses in the first five books? <laughs> well, by the age of 10, these kids would have known this. That's how important it was. If they were good enough, they would go into the second stage of their educational system, and in, the, in this stage, from the age of 10 to about 13-ish, they would have learned to interact with the text. Let me explain this. In, in, in the Western culture where we, you and I live, this is what we're taught. We, a teacher, gives us information. I know that that information is going to be needed at a later point called an exam. So the night before, I cram as much information into me as possible. I walk to school. Hopefully, nobody's touching me so nothing falls out. <laughs> then I regurgitate all the information onto a piece of paper. I walk out of the exam room, happy that I wrote it all down, hoping that I didn't, rem- I didn't forget everything, and glad to forget it from now on. True or not true? That's, I mean, that's the way I did it. And I know you're way smarter than I am, but that's the way I did it. In those days, they were not taught that way. They were taught to interact. In other words, they were taught to answer questions with questions. For example, uh, what is 4 plus 4? In our system, we would say 8, okay? In their system, this is what they would say. What is 4 plus 4? The answer that would come back from a student would be, what is 10 minus 2? Or what is 5 plus 3? Okay, they would give an answer with a question, some of you, your, your brain should be clicking. You remember? Uh, that's hard for some of you. You should be noticing by now. Did you notice how many times in the Bible when Jesus gets asked a question, he, asks, he answers with a question. But in that question, he's given an answer. And then the next part, he says, and then they wanted to kill him. And you always think, well, what did he say? But see, in that question, he's given the answer of who he is. And they don't like it. That's the system that Jesus would have grown up in, the question and answer system. Therefore, one of the greatest gifts we can give our children and our young people is teaching them to interact, to question. There's nothing wrong with why. 
It's good for them to ask the question, why? Because it gets us going as well. By the way, especially in our schooling system. Because they come in and uh, believe these all these theories and then they walk out and they're all confused. No, to interact the questions, why? The why is nearly more important than the what sometimes. A great gift we can give our children or young people is teaching them to interact. So here we go. We have these kids coming out of 13, 14. And by the way, by that stage, they would have memorized the entire Old Testament, which is the Hebrew Scriptures. That's impressive. Talk about value in their system. By the way, do you notice the Jewish people are still around today, 2,000 years later, and other cultures have disappeared? Why? Because this still happens in their world. The rabbi, he wants to know something. Is this student or does this student have what it takes to be able to pass on my interpretation of scripture that was handed down from my rabbi to me and from that rabbi? Does this student have what it takes to be like me? Can this student be good enough to be like me? Now, rabbis, there was only a few different uh, uh, traditions of rabbis that they had in different interpretations. For example, what does it mean, what are you allowed to do on the Sabbath? A rabbi would have said, you're allowed to do this, 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 and this, but you're not allowed to do this. Another rabbi would have said, you're allowed to do this, this, but not this. By the way, the interpretation of the text from rabbi to rabbi, it's called the yoke of the rabbi. Okay, some of you who know your Bible. In Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is speaking. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, Jesus is speaking, is easy, and my burden is light. Guys, let's not make a religion out of this. It's about loving God and loving others. Jesus says, it's not going to be easy. But his teaching is easy. They're working it out sometimes. We make it hard. Love God. Love others. The yoke of the rabbi. Jesus is saying, if you get, if you get that, you'll change the world. So this rabbi would have had these students present before them. And the rabbi would have been looking at the students and they would have asked them loads of questions and like Lamentations and Ezekiel and Isaiah and what part of Genesis and words of the law and all those questions. And there's only two answers the student could have heard. If the student was not good enough, he would have heard these words. You're a good Jew. Go home. Do your father's trade. Grow up. Get married and have a lot of Jewish babies. In other words, you're not good enough. You won't be like me. You don't have what it takes to be like me. Now, if the student was good enough, this is what they would hear. The rabbi would say, come follow me. Let me drop it into now the system. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is walking. And this is what we say. says, as Jesus walked beside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. What does that mean? They weren't good enough. They were fishermen. 
Jesus says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. What? What, what, do they not have responsibility? He had to click on the job. It's Monday morning. Get back to your... No, no, no. But remember, the rabbi, the teacher has said, come follow me. I can be like a rabbi? When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. What are they doing? Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee. They were with their dad. In other words, they weren't good enough in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Wait a minute. Where are these teenagers going? Why is there no responsibility? Oh, someone comes along. No. In the system, a rabbi said, come follow me, and at once they would have left everything. Why? Because I can be like the rabbi. <gasps> you know what, guys? Years. Students presented themselves before the rabbi. Jesus went looking for students, and he still does today. Because today he looks at you and me, and it's not about whether you're good enough, you have more money or not so much money, or you're tall or you're thin or you're fat or you're good, or you have power or authority, you're good enough, you're on your third marriage, whatever it is. Jesus is saying, people, come follow me. I will make you the difference. I will put my spirit in you. I've given you my word. And if you be, you can be like me. And if you can be like me, you will change the world. Love God, love others. It's the calling that has come from generation to generation to generation. Come, follow me. Wow, it changes everything. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Does that mean that Jesus thinks that I can be like him? Yes. It doesn't mean you're going to be him. There's only one him. But you can be like him. Loving God, loving others. Don't compare yourself. He has called you because you're different, you're unique, and you're going to reach the people around you in your way. You can't be Pastor Tim. You're you. This these teenagers would have left everything. These people would have left everything to go with their rabbi. If the rabbi walked, they would walk. If the rabbi sat, they would sat, sit. If, they, if the rabbi ate, I have to say that in, in American, ate, they would eat. If the rabbi, whatever the rabbi did, they would do. If the rabbi walked on water, guess what? They're going to want to walk. Oh, let's go and see what Matthew 14 happens. Why? Because in Matthew 14, the disciples are in this storm. They're in the middle of a storm. And they see a figure walking over the very thing that is bringing them fear. That's a different sermon. And Peter says, if that is you, Jesus, call me. Peter, uh, Jesus says, come. The student... The disciple, the follower, wants to do what his rabbi does, gets out of the boat, begins to walk on water because his rabbi is walking on water. And then we come to this part where he starts to sink. And every good 
preacher, like myself included, has cast a stone at Peter because Jesus says, oh, you of little faith, and we teach. You know, he took his eyes off Jesus, and he started to look at the wind of the waves, and if you don't you have your eyes on Jesus, you, you know, and it's good, and you can interpret it that way and apply it that way, but what if we realize Peter was sinking, Jesus wasn't. The object of Peter's faith was still standing on the water. Could it be that Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, I called you. I called you. You can be like me. Start trusting that I can do the work in you. Trust the Spirit of God in you later on and God's Word to you. And years later... God has given us everything we need for life and purpose. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us everything we need. And he still says this. You have, you can be like me. And if you are like me, loving God and loving others, you will change everything. It changes everything. As we come to the end of his life, the last few words... Jesus is trusting and trusting these disciples who were not good enough in the eyes of the world, but they were in the eyes of Jesus. That's because he went to the cross to die for them. That's why he went to the cross to die for you and I. Not anything intrinsic of value in me is what he has placed in me. In Matthew 28, as we come to Matthew 28, and before he leaves and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, Jesus is speaking to the group, go and make other disciples, other students, other followers of Christ, other people who can be like me in this world. And all disciples of all nations, by the way, not just Ocala, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what Jesus says. I am now entrusting you to go out and love God, love others, and change everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? When, I, when I'm studying this, I'm just like, Lord, I don't have to be like anybody else. I can just realize that, God, you've wired me this way, in this little corner of the world, in this stage of life, and I'm going to love God and love others. You get the glory, and it changes everything. One of the things I noticed as I, studied, as I was studying this, and it just... I couldn't believe it. You know, all our movies, all our Hollywood movies, present the disciples as having bathrobes and hairy legs. <laughs> you know, big beards. That's not what the rabbinical system would have had. Remember, it's at the age of 14, 15, 16, maybe 17, 18. It would have, there would have been the teenage years that the rabbi would have taken students. There was one that was always the leader, and that one could be older. Actually, in Matthew 17, Jesus tells Peter, Peter, go out, go fishing. You'll get a fish. Inside the fish, there's going to be two coins in the mouth of the fish. 
those two coins will pay the temple tax for you and for me. Now, why would Jesus only pay the temple tax for Peter and him and not the other ones? Because the temple tax was only paid for, by, for man, by man, over the age of 20. Peter had a mother-in-law. We know, but Jesus healed her. So he, would, he fits that purpose. He fits that role perfectly. But could it... Could, oh, wait a minute, Dave. What are you saying? Could it be that Jesus took 12 ones older than 20, 11... Uh, one backstabbed him and betrayed him. Ten teenagers and changed the world. What could he do with Meadowbrook Church filled with people who actually say and take Jesus at his word and receive what he has given, which is his Holy Spirit, and then receive the greatest teaching in all life to love God, study him, Learn about him. Get into groups. Study the passage. Learn what he does. And then go out and love others like he does. It will change everything. If he could do that with 10 teenagers plus, what could he do with a whole generation of people, old and young, who take Jesus at his word? It will change. You, go, you won't only change Ocala. You will change Florida for Jesus Christ. You will change the world for Jesus Christ. Generations, generations, and generations of people taking Jesus at his word. Let me tell you about one of those teenagers, Philip. Philip was uh, from Bethsaida. God, Jesus called him in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, he gets called, and Bethsaida is a, a little peasant village, 600 people, hand-to-mouth existence. Philip was with Jesus for three years. He watched, he walked, he did exactly what his rabbi did. And then his rabbi told him, go now, you have the authority. Go and love God and love others. And he arrives, church history tells us, in a place called Heropolis, which is in modern-day Greece. And at the time, it was a Roman city, and it was a Roman army city. That, so everything that had to do with the army was there, whether it be gambling or prostitution and everything that goes with it. It's like a, a Las Vegas-style city of the modern, on, in those days. And in that city, at that time, the emperor was Domitian. And Domitian thought he was God, like all of them thought. By the way, today, they're dead. He said, anytime you enter one of the Roman cities, you must, you are proclaiming, whether you like it or not, you walk through the main gate, you're saying Domitian is God. Apparently, church history tells us, in the, in the readings of the church history, it tells us that he went to that city, and Philip did not go in through the main gate. He always went through a side gate, always through a side gate. And they told him, if you keep doing that, they're going to catch out. The authorities are going to catch out. They're going to find it. And sure enough, they did. And they said to him, if you don't walk through that gate, we will kill you. Because Domitian is God. And it is said in the scriptures, uh, in, the, in the writings of church historians, that Philip said, I've seen my Jesus bring sight to the blind. I've seen my Jesus feed the 5,000. I've seen my Jesus walk on water. I've seen my Jesus rise from the dead. Domitian is not God. Jesus is Lord. He was killed. His family too. Who said following Jesus was going to be easy? Remember what he said? Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. He didn't say pick up a cushion, let's go for a nap. 
And as Jesus impacted that young man through his sacrifice, Heropolis, we are told, became one of the centers of Jesus' worship because of the response, because of the, the life of Philip. What could he do? They're all around us. We don't see it in the naked eye, but they're there. They're invisible waves. Invisible waves that I need a, a, a phone that that invisible wave, this instrument allows me to hear that which is invisible. I, I, I need a TV that allows me to see the the waves that are invisible that bring to, to life in, in, in color that which is invisible. The Bible tells me that the, the heavens declare the glory of God. The, the creation declares the glory of God. All of them are doing their part and they're doing them well. They are revealing an aspect of the glory of God. And then Jesus steps in and said, into his own creation, to his own people, he says, now you go and reveal the invisible God to a world that's desperately seeking to see the invisible God. But how do we see it? Through people like you and I who love God and love others. The world will never read God's word before they read your life and my life. So no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, remember, God has called you. Jesus says, come follow me. Come on, love God, love others, and let's change this world for Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Let me finish. There's a, there's a statement in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is the oral tradition of the Jews. And, and, and Israel is, is very dusty, and they all walk in sandals. And we who live in Florida know what this is like. You know, have you ever been on the beach behind someone who's walking in flip-flops? You're getting all the sand over you, you know? Does, yes, does anybody with me here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a saying that says this in, in the Mishnah. It says, may the dust of your rabbi fall on you. In other words, may you be so close to your teacher, to your rabbi, and in our case, to our Lord, that his influence falls on me. May Meadowbrook Church be known, not by the music and the kids and the beautiful people and beautiful buildings and all that is good, but may you be known as a people who are so close to our rabbi, to our Lord, that we love God, love people, and change the world for him. Can we pray together, please? Holy Spirit, we just thank you. Thank you for the lesson, Lord. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you want us to learn at this very minute of time of this message. Thank you for teaching us, Lord, through your word. And Lord, I pray for this church. I thank you for it. Lord, I pray for those of us who have been serving you for many, many years. We've known you for years and years and years. Lord, and we may have got a little, oh, tired or passed on the responsibility to somebody else, Lord. 
Lord, I pray that you will awaken us again. You give us a hunger to love you and love others, Lord. If we have a breath in our life, Lord, we want to serve you faithfully. You may be here and you, you, you may have been coming or you're a guest or somebody brought you and you've never actually acknowledged that you need Jesus in your life. You may feel not good enough that you need to get your act together first. You may be coming and you think you're fine. And Jesus to both says, come follow me. I'll change you from the inside out. You say, but Dave, I don't know how to, how to do that. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. If you've never trusted him, it's just simple words with a truthful heart. Just saying, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. In those simple words from a grateful heart, if you pray that way, please don't leave here today without telling someone. There's going to be prayer partners here at the front after the service that would love, love to get to know you and help you in your next step. And let me just say, welcome home. Not to a church building, to a body of people who want to live for Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I pray that today, that this week, you will give us an opportunity to, to tell someone about Jesus. I pray that this week, you will tell us, give us an opportunity to show the love of Jesus. And, Lord, we pray that we will follow our rabbi and change the world for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Pastor Tim says, did you get anything from the word today? Did you get anything? May the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you. There's prayer partners here. Please uh, come and pray if you need it. If not, you are dismissed. The Lord bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.